This episode of The Front Lounge is brought to you by 1929 Part 1, The Ultramixes. We did six versions of songs from that album in a very, very different way, and uh, they are out now on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, anywhere you can get music. They're pretty interesting. Go check it out. What's up? Welcome to the Front Lounge, this podcast with the Congress Brothers. Um, this is episode 50, so we've been talking shit on the air um, for longer and more of it than anyone else that we know personally. Um, let's do a couple business things first. Um, right below the screen, you can see our Teespring. Uh, we've got a bunch of merch items that you can't find on our usual store, like mugs and different t-shirts, like limited edition t-shirts and things like that. So check that out. Um, if you want to be listening to this ad-free, go to our Patreon for $2 a month. You can do that. And that's about it. Yeah, the mixes are out. This is the Tuesday, right? The mixes came yeah, out today. Yeah, this is Tuesday. They just came out. In fact, they've been putting them out early, I've noticed. I guess yeah, it it's once it goes out on Australia, they put it out everywhere. No, I think it's 9 p.m. April West morning. Coast. Yeah, or so midnight East Coast. Yeah, so yeah, as, soon as, yeah, yeah. as soon as... Per it, country that when it reaches the next day. It's kind of like when you get those notifications from HBO um, or Showtime that a new episode of your TV show is out and it comes at 9 p.m. the night before. Um, 50 episodes. That is a lot of shit talking. I just was listening to Mark Marin the other night and he was announcing that it was his 1,023rd episode that he's done of the podcast, and Whoa. he only keeps the last 25 available for free, then the rest go up on a kind of paid thing if you want to go access the archives and that. But hmm. Hmm. That is, We should we, do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Starting uh, next week. But not, to, not for money, just to be, just so that it's not so daunting of a thing to look through. You limit people's choice, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, people, there are a lot of people, I'm sure, are paying his subscription to go look through those archives. But I thought about how funny it is because he does 15 minutes of just himself up front, always you know, doing his ads and then kind of talking about the guest mm-hmm. where he's mildly con- condescending to everyone in like a backhanded way. Yeah. But it's that's that 15 minutes by yourself is so hard. And you look at someone like Bill Burr, who's got to be also in the thousands of episodes to it's, Whatever you want to say about it, it's talking shit, yeah. but it's still very difficult. And there's to no, do. he doesn't do any editing, Bill Burr. I like no, them. Yeah. Bill, Burr, uh, Bill Burr is much more straight up about everything he's ever saying. You know, he's just like, he stands behind what he's saying. Mark, I like Mark Marin and he's a good interviewer and all that, but he does do that 15 minute shit talk basically about the person. Will be like you know, Michael Douglas. I mean, I, I like the interview. He's an interesting guy. Like, no shit, dude. He's had a, <laughs> he's had an incredible life. <laughs> yeah, he did the one that I was listening to. Was he had David Letterman on, which is actually a really good one because they're talking a lot, a lot that, about. The well, they're two of the driest, meanest people. Yeah, but the way he was talking about it, it was always like, and you know, Dave's the kind of guy that th- he thinks about his life and he's he's ready to kind of apologize for a lot of the mistakes he's made, and like he sets up. The other guy's what he's done wrong in his life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's really repented. You know? Yeah. Um, 50 episodes. When did we start this? In 2017, I December or something? It was or like no, it was October or November of 2017, I believe. We just. Oh, okay. So we've basically we've kept it. It's more than once every two weeks. It's like one every one and a half weeks almost. Yeah. So 
I mean, this is the most consistent we've been at about anything. <laughs> yeah, because it's the easiest, because there's not much work involved in it. Um, we should I, just call these songs. Songs? <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what Drake does. Hey, hey guys, we've got a 15-minute song coming out. So I have a, two specific things I wanted to talk about. I came across, and I don't know how I came across this, this collection of music, I'm just looking it up here, on Apple Music, and I'm assuming Spotify and all that, called the Sound of Africa series. And it appears to be like a 200 album or more collection of very specific uh, field recordings of every every bit of music you can possibly find around Africa. And I think a lot of it is the old Hugh Tracy stuff, which he was a BBC reporter or musicologist in the 30s that traveled to Africa you know, in the 30s when there was not, you know, you just book an American Airlines flight to the Congo and recorded on wire initially, you know, before there was even tape recordings, and documented the vast wealth of African music that there is. And now, obviously, you can find a lot of this stuff online. Our dad had a collection of, what, like a hundred and something more vinyls Mm -hmm. of these records, and they're just... um, It's amazing when you go look through this, the diversity in African music. Like, always people are like, oh, it's African music influence, and then you go realize there are like 25 or more... albums just dealing with South Africa, mm. you know, of the different tribes of Kosa tribes or Zulu tribes, Sutu tribes, Swaziland. It goes into that. And then for every country, it's got that. Mm. So I actually came across some really interesting new stuff in Malawi that I was playing to you where their sense of tuning is so different than what we have here that it's it's very eerie music. They're in to quarter tones and less than quarter tones and just well, so foreign is sounding. It, is it formularized their sense of tuning? Because what is that? Um, what is the bell music called? Uh, oh, gamelan from gamelan Java, music. Indonesia. Yeah. That has no actual formula. It's basically village to village. They assemble their instruments and they choose the tuning, obviously intentionally. But there's no. It's not a national system. No, of no, notes no. Every or tuning system is different. They're making the selections based on tuning and also the the timbre of the instrument, obviously. That's some interesting thing that I never realized is how much the timbre affects your perception of the tuning. So you can have, if you have the same exact, if you play an, oh, an octave and a fifth, and the fifth is perfectly in tune, but you change the timbre, because it's a complex sound, you're changing the tuning effectively. So the nature of the sound affects the tuning. Um, where is all this stuff being kept? Like, is Apple, I'm sure they are, but do they keep all of this music in like cold storage and backups and backups of it. Because, I mean, it's kind of like it's becoming the audio version of the Library of Alexandria. You know, it's at some point if the internet crashes or something happens, we're going to lose just decades and decades worth of recordings and uh, cultures. Yeah, I don't music. know. Um, this came up, actually, Mick, we were talking about some comedian, and he said, I wish you could still find his old website because he had all these cool little soundboards. It was Limmy, the Scottish guy. And there is archive.org and the Wayback Machine that is dedicated specifically to archiving a digital content website. So there, I wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if there are people doing it with music and audio recordings. But it, it is a major question, obviously, because when you store it in a completely digital medium, that relies on a lot of things existing still. So well, I don't know if there's like a, you know, the seed project where they're storing seeds. I don't know if there's like a longer term where they're burning it onto gloss or, or something that can survive an 
electrical outage or whatever. I mean, beyond the kind of Armageddon type lose the internet thing, the the negotiations that the rights holders have with the streaming services result in not being able to like Bob Marley. I couldn't find half the Bob Marley stuff the other day because they must be in some sort of legal battle with streaming services. And so that's, I saw stats that piracy is on the rise again of stream rips because obviously mm-hmm. most people just don't want to pay for shit and that's the main reason. But there is a little bit of it like, well, if I add the, the library of Bob Marley to my thing and then next week it's going to be gone, that's very annoying. Right. Because, and I understand that there are <laughs> rights arguments between publishers and services, but, you know, it's until there is a endless service that doesn't get interrupted, there's always going to exist people that just want to have their music what is on that? their computer. Isn't there a program that you can play your streaming, you can play Apple Music or Spotify, and it will rip and parse the music into folders for you? I'm sure that, yeah. yeah, I'm sure there are people that are doing every form of piracy, you know, always they're always ahead of the game. Yeah, I think it's, we're just moving towards... Uh, or away from a society of ownership where literally nothing is going to be owned anymore. It's all going to be rent or lease or just you have access. You know, There's no need to own anything. And I think that there's people who are still resisting that idea you know, because they know that somebody can take it away from you. If it's just providing access, then the access can be taken away. There's nothing you can do to actually sort of hold it to keep it for yourself. This is unrelated to that. We're going back to the tuning thing, but I was talking to Derek uh, No last weekend, who's a friend of mine who's Chinese. He speaks Cantonese fluently. And <clears throat> we were talking about intonations in language, and he was giving us an example. There were like five or six words with the same uh, thing. It's gong gong. And he just in intonations, like one means grandpa, one means giraffe, one means the number nine. And what's interesting is I asked, I because he's not very musical, but I said one of the things was gong gong, which means grandpa, I think. And then it's gong gong is a different one. And I said, okay, so am I saying grandpa if I go gong gong? He says, no. I said, so it's grandpa if I say gong gong, and it's a fourth. So they, he, he's not uh, aware of it in language to put like the what intonations they're putting into the language. but He knows they, when it's wrong. He knows when it's wrong, yeah, which is weird, which is clearly why like music from all different cultures sounds different because we don't have any intonation in English language other than to like inflect something or to make, yeah, to to try to convey some emotion or whatever. I think uh, if you say whatever, <laughs> that is, that's definite uh, <clears throat> interval there. I, think. I wonder if it yeah, applies like, to, to Cantonese as well, but I remember hearing that Mandarin stimulated the different hemispheres of a brain, of your brain more than any other language. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. And, and if there's anyone out there that is Cantonese and I've I just said like asshole instead of grandpa or something like that, don't don't yeah, uh, try to correct the general me. concept. Um, the other not as interesting thing that I came across, but I thought was kind of funny, is there was an article I just saw that the Michelin Guide for Food, you know, has come back to California. I don't know why it wasn't here. They weren't rating restaurants in California, but they're back. And I was reading through a couple of the. Um, restaurants that they had rated first of all there are no three-star michelin restaurants this year i believe in california there's one two star and then a bunch of one stars and the complaint about the michelin guide is it's very like european centric like they favor fine dining china all that sort of thing and they don't look at like the other great experiences that you can have eating at whatever a taco shop or like a korean barbecue joint 
and LA is very much that's what they're about here is all the different kinds of things but the one that has two Michelin stars is called Vespertine it's in Culver City and it's in this really cool looking building it looks like a waffle like it's a giant thing and it's this collaboration between the lead chef an architect that built the building they have a post rock band that does the ambient music and sounds for it and you go to this place you can only do reservations of up to four Two starts at $250 a person for their full tasting menu, which, I mean, it's crazy, but it's not crazy from what I understand a lot of these places charge. And you go, and it's an entire experience, like you walk through, it's like a theme park, I can, you know, this dish is served at this table, and then you walk outside through the garden, and then this is handed to you and that. So, you know, fairly interesting thing. But they also have a master of textiles there that is like the person there, and this is what it just describes this person as he's a Brooklyn-based artist who constructs garment systems for evolved humans through the science of clothing. (laughs) 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 And the garment, he says, overhauling traditional consumption patterns, ancient elementary fibers were bonded together to offer two sensations and functions. One side is textured and gives structural or structure and resilience, echoing the severity of the building. The other side is a soft friend of skin. Together they have been streak-dyed with volcanic charcoal. I developed this for the napkin, the towel, and no two are alike. So, I mean, it's not that interesting. I just, like, that level of... Prote- I, I'm actually interested to go there because I've got to see... No, like, I'm not going to that. No, I'm not going to. I can't afford to spend $250 a meal, but, I've you know, to see one of these places that you see made fun of in movies, you know... Yeah, unreal, the commitment that these people have to their bullshit. I, the only thing I can even, if I'm going to be remotely open-minded about it, is... <laughs> like synthetic fibers that possibly, you know, um, irritate the skin or if they're using, you know, ancient cotton or, you know, organic strains of heirloom cotton or something like that. But I don't I don't have a problem with the idea behind most of this stuff. I, I just think most, mo- I mean, I'm assuming, I haven't gone and checked it out, but most people who approach this, they take the attitude that they already have mastered it, you know, and that, and it's coming from a place of fashion usually, as opposed to a place where you're looking for something real, some art or harmony in every aspect of your life, you know, whether it's your clothing or your building or the space or the lighting in a place or how you arrange the furniture. I believe that there is a way to, to master those that are where, where it is set up in, for a harmonious existence. Um, cause that exists in music and every other piece of art, but I just think most people approach it from a very superficial level, and it's really about looking cool or you know. I, I think there's an inverse cool. inverse correlation between the kind the bull, the level of bullshit in their language and the substance in what they're talking about. Because if Roger Deakins is a good example, he's an amazing cinematographer who understands clearly color, harmony, composition, everything you can, everything that visually relates to your emotions. He's got a grasp on. And he doesn't talk like that. And he's producing the best art in the world, you know, in terms yeah, of his, his lane of, course, of art. There's, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with even considering the napkins at a restaurant because we all know what it's like if you go to a restaurant that's got great food, but it's fluorescent lights and shitty plastic forks. Like The food is usually does, amazing. <laughs> yeah, the food's usually amazing, but it wouldn't be hurt by you know yeah, having yeah. all the elements there. 
It's, it's something this? about the pretentiousness of it, I guess. Did I read this on one of the last podcasts? Stop me if I have, but um, Dad sent us this, and this is a South African's take on it, which is they always have the, the best take on this type of thing. So it's an actual wine coming from Hermanus in South Africa. It's called Onder Lemon Kwop Shiraz. Uh, a full-bodied yet refined wine with an intense deep red color and a nose of black cherry, mint, cloves, dark chocolate, chocolate and aromatic tobacco these elements combine seamlessly with voluptuous velvety tannins on the pairing uh no sorry on the palate culminating in a long enchanting finish and it won't fuck up the taste of your cheeseburger (laughs) (laughs) you'd be better in a southern accent accent. um and they won't fuck up your cheeseburger eh? yeah (laughs) that's change accents the first part is you know black pears and and chocolate and then when (laughs) you get they won't fuck up your cheeseburger (laughs) yeah like they have a perfect take on it because there there obviously is a science and a a sophistication to the palate when it comes to wine and any type of food but then at the end of the day also you want to just eat your food and have a nice taste in your mouth and not analyze it well yeah you see you see it even in all the chefs like there has to be I think a level of pretentiousness and like pushing forward because like we've discussed before they come up with new techniques like no one would have been able to make bread had there not be some guy being like hey look at the you know look at the pretentious guy grinding up those grass seeds and then fermenting them and then doing all these processes but yeah when you see chefs that do that and then they obviously they just also go out and eat a regular meal like there's there's a balance in that and i don't know i'm prejudging without i haven't even gone there but i'm yeah, just I'm picturing what these too, guys look like and i don't like their hair i've got an idea <laughs> I, it's a mustache that's sound activated okay and it basically puts a little puff of shit up into your nostrils every time you start talking and then you have to wear that with your outfit and you well, can wax that it. was that south park episode where everyone you know that was driving a prius and was so like self-righteous about the fact <laughs> smelling that they just farts. start smelling their own farts. It was the perfect kind of... I think pretense, though, is at an all-time high because I think it's kind of related to how much you... how visible you are, you know, to the public. Because there's no reason to be pretentious if you're off on a farm and somebody's got to walk like 10 miles to even see you making, you know, artisan bread or whatever. <laughs> so you're not going to be pretending because there's no one to pretend for. But if everything you do is broadcast, then it's like, it's like <laughs> yes. fuel. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which. No, you, what, everything you all do <laughs> is broadcast. I mean, this is art here right now with these GoPro cameras looking at us and fucking hand mics. Yeah. Um, this, it's totally off the subject, which I just uh, thought of put another advertisement in here um we were i was asking johnny how uh much money we make on youtube um from monetized stuff and he says not very much because a big part of these podcasts that are video um or the audio versions is that we swear all the time on them and so advertisers get to opt in like they're analyzing the audio seeing which words are being used and then advertisers have to opt into um using their advertisements on your content if they don't if they are okay with the word fuck, whatever. So if you guys want to support the podcast, because someone made a comment the other day about holding mics, but we're going to be getting better mics. We've got lighting. We're getting better cameras. If you guys want to support the podcast, go to Patreon for $2 a month. If you want to hear us say fuck, bullshit, balls, cunt, shit, asshole. Yeah. And yeah, so we no, can- it's, it is a good point because we're not, this is not where we're making money. And it actually made me think about like Joe Rogan's not able to monetize it or he's able to monetize his stream, but I'm sure that he's getting pulled up on the same thing. And with YouTube, at least it's a fairly transparent system. They let you know, you know, I, and we, I, it's understandable. If we were advertising, I might want to not have our ads show up on some 
whatever death on our metal. own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's hear some news, Colton. All right. So news for Apple. Apple replaces iTunes on Mac with three separate apps: music, podcasts, and TV. Trying to streamline the whole process. Is it three separate apps or is it all inclusive in one app? This stated, this article stated that it was three separate apps. Yeah. Is it ever, I mean, the first thing that makes me think is everything we do is actually dictated by Apple. (laughs) (laughs) The only reason we do do stuff is because the tech, you know, the only reason movies are made is because somebody invented a camera. So there's the the technical thing. Well, precedes the specifically for yeah. Apple is we make music, we do podcasts, and we made a TV show, Bus Call. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> we're li- they're yeah. literally dictating our lives. Podcasts is an Apple word, right? I think what so. I, yeah. What I mean is that it it only came. Oh, yeah, of course it must be because it, the iPod, it was the iPod. Yeah, yeah. It didn't exist before that. So, do you think that in six hundred years, people will be worship Steve Jobs? Worship Steve Jobs, and they'll be getting put in prison if they do, and. I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, uh, I think the iTunes store was done for most people a long time ago. But you know, then you see stats and you realize how many people are still buying songs, and it just blows my mind. I mean, you can buy one album, or you could have all the music in the world for a month. In like, I mean, maybe it works out in our favor. There's still people who buy CDs. So if you want some physical, you know, ownership of your music, you can go buy our CD. But if anything, the fact that, because it's not just that they're streamlining into these three apps and that, it's the fact that sold downloads are Being ending. Stopped. That's, it's all going streaming. So they've it, always done that. Apple has always, they got rid of the floppy disk first. They got rid of the headphone. Like they always push to some new form of consumption and they proceed it, the life cycle. Even though the life cycle of buying songs is not dead yet, Apple's making it happen. Yeah. They're, they're not sentimental about last year's technology. Yeah, because they make money from next year's technology. The funniest thing to me about Apple is that they were bailed out by Microsoft in the '90s. The reason Apple's still a company, I think, I, maybe I'm getting the details wrong, and some financial person can talk about it. But Microsoft was afraid of of being sued for being a monopoly, so they preemptively saved Apple from going under. Yeah, they're like, well, we'll just keep this little company alive. They don't, they don't pose a real threat, yeah. but they <laughs> yeah. at least make it look like there's competition. Mm. What's next, Colton? Well, just one more thing on the Apple. I don't know if you guys saw. I sent, I sent you the link last night, but the new Mac Pros, which is their top-line desktop thing, you can get 1.5 terabytes of RAM in it, <laughs> which, <laughs> to put it in perspective, most people's computers don't have 1.5 terabytes of hard drives. Isn't there a famous quote from even Bill Gates? Yeah, I, I, it, I, I don't think, think that's Bill true. Gates, I don't think that one where he says you'll never need more than... Eight megabytes of RAM? Yeah. It's yeah. not true. Yeah, I don't but maybe that, it's an urban legend. I, I have heard I highly that. doubt somebody that smart said something that... There were I've, some people I've heard like, him say some dumb stuff before, not related to um, yeah, computer sure, yeah. and computers and technology. or or not. No, actually... Yeah, I've heard him say some dumb stuff. Those yeah, I guess everybody's too. got the capacity to be wrong about stuff. But The funny quotes I find about internet and future technology are the ones where high-level economists are saying that the internet is never going to be anything more than a glorified like fax machine. Right, it'll never be no used for commerce. For commerce. Yeah. And now it's, it's all there's commerce. A, there's <laughs> a list of those quotes, and it's like the 
uh, phone book, um, the Yellow Pages, the guy who uh, owned the Yellow Pages or invented the Yellow Pages, was like, you'll never get rid of the Yellow Pages. When <laughs> when Elon Musk, one of his first things was trying to put um, businesses online, and it was like a directory, an on, a directory online, and it, like every industry you can think of, they're always like, you'll never get rid of the newspaper, you'll never get rid of this, you'll never get rid of the automobile. I mean, the it's horse like and us. You'll never get rid of like guys playing music in a band. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Here we go. <laughs> uh, next news. All right. So Forbes names Jay Z first billionaire hip hop artist. Jeez. I thought that was Dre. Isn't I thought, that? Yeah, I thought maybe he's a d- different classification because Dre made his. Why? Yeah, that's weird. No, because uh, Dre made it. It was the headphones and the. You know, beats empire. Is I think what happened was was if you watch that documentary, it was going to be a billion dollar deal, and then they did that little publicity stunt and a little fuck up, and it actually lowered the um, initial offering, initial or, uh, or the size of the offer or something. Huh. And he's just un- he was just under a billion dollars. Look, I mean, I think Jay Z's done some cool shit, but I Dre's my guy. You know, especially after watching the Defiant ones. Well, Jay Z like, wrote "Still Dre." Yeah, that's the crazy thing. <laughs> okay. He he wrote. Are they two different? Is is it? Do they both exist at the same time? Yeah, ever? <laughs> that's funny to me. I think uh, Dre kind of crowdsourced "Still Dre" amongst. His, uh, he had a, Snoop Dogg write a version of it, and then Jay Z is the one that there so is Jay- a ver- there is a version that you can go listen to of Jay Z uh, doing "The Watcher," I think, and it's a cool version. I wonder if he's he okay wrote that? or. It, it may it may be more than one, but right, I've right, heard yeah. a version of The Watcher. I'm pretty sure with Jay Z rapping the verses. Hmm. I wonder if he's okay just being referred to as Dre, like dropping the, dro- <laughs> dropping the Doctor. <laughs> Remember Part. that that song where the Eminem did that track with the the choruses? I need a doctor. That was really cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we yeah, got anything that's, else? That's interesting. That's surprising. I would have didn't know it was him first. Well, it's it's not just a big deal in hip hop because there's probably what there's a handful of billionaires in the music business other than I mean the people that own music companies yeah, um, people that wear suits people <laughs> that actually make music there are very few yeah. of them it's like Paul yeah. McCartney um, Clive, he, Clive Calder is who it was, from clothing lines and what is it from well I, I had heard again it's kind of pulling numbers out of my ass but that uh, this was years ago his clothing line was worth 400 million hmm. a year revenue and this was like 8 or 9 years ago hmm. Plus, he married Beyonce. So, are yeah. they counting? Is it a joint joint account? <laughs> Good question. What's the next news item? They should start a home improve, like a home store called Bed Bath and Beyonce. <laughs> 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 All right, this is some fun news. Um, happy birthday to McLovin. He's thirty-eight year old Hawaiian organ donor from Superbad, and he turned thirty-eight uh, today. His, you mean his license? <laughs> his license. His, uh, I saw Seth Rogen posted that. My question is: Are they gearing up for a sequel or something? Because oh, maybe that that you know that's the way kind of promotion starts these days is some yeah. some sort of clandestine genuine moment. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting about that movie to me is that that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg wrote that when they were fourteen, started writing it. When they were 14 years old. Yeah, that's why it was so funny. Yeah, because they that's captured why. exactly, it was so accurate to that. Uh, the actor who plays McLovin is in a band here in LA quite often. He's good friends with Kenny. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, he must have a tough time overcoming it. That's one of those characters, like, 
whatever, you know, Screech or save one of the Save by the Bell people or whatever Melrose Place, any of those iconic yeah. teen things is impossible to overcome that people just be like, Hey, do the line. Well, that's why Jonah Hill, like, I mean, he obviously had huge ambitions and um, aspirations because he overcame being Jonah Hill in, in uh, that movie. And now he's, he's a fucking good actor, actually. There's a movie that he's, he does with, um, Shit, I can't even remember the name of it actually right now, but there's a movie where he plays like a, a ex-drug addict who's now part of like a leader of a 12-step program. Um, Colton maybe can look that up, but it's an excellent movie and he's excellent. In it. And he also has had quite a lot of success. He directed mid-90s now, which is kind of a coming-of-age story about the 90s, uh, which was 20 years ago. Yeah, He'll never get far on foot. That's what it is. It's with Joaquin Phoenix and there's a... Oh, that's the movie? Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, we don't really have much more else for this week's podcast. Uh, we just wanted to check in on you. <laughs> and uh, so, in summary, go check out the new Alter Mixes. Really cool versions, we think, of um, the 1929 Part 1. Those are out on Spotify, Apple Music, and all that. Stay tuned next week. And we'll should be making a couple nice announcements with. Oh, Colton, it's just whispering to me. What are we doing? 50% off tour shirts on our website using the code TFL50. That's TFL50 for podcast listeners only because it's our 50th anniversary and episode here, 50% off tour shirts. Did you just come up with that on the spot, Colton? <laughs> no, I've been thinking about this for weeks. <laughs> uh, I'm just very conspicuously holding this front lounge mug here that you can buy on our Teespring store, which is good for coffee or other beverages. Um, thanks, guys. We will uh, do another one next week talking about more interesting stuff. See ya. Bye.